0: All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, So today we've got Justin Dobbs with us. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well, thank God. Good to see you. Scott Smelser, how are you, Scott? Two thumbs up. Good. And Dan Bunting. How are you doing, Dan? I'm well. Good. Good to see all of you guys. Um, So we'll go ahead and get the discussion going today. Uh, I wanted to spend some time talking about uh, Jesus as being our king and but really trying to first establish that and and see that that is definitely a biblical idea. That's definitely a truth, but then kind of going from there and seeing what does that mean for us as his people? What does that mean for the world? uh, And just kind of seeing all of the the applications of Jesus's kingship, uh, why that's so important. I think it's important to first point out that uh, maybe we as a nation, um, just Americans in general, have a hard time wrapping our minds around the king relationship and, uh, and what it means to have a king uh, because we don't have a king. And our country was kind of founded on the idea of not wanting to have a king, <laughs> uh, getting away from kingship. Uh, and that's generally just kind of a human tendency anyway, wanting to get away from authority or having some kind of authority over you um that that people in general don't like that they don't seek that out uh, they don't desire that but whether you acknowledge Jesus as king or not or accept his kingship it doesn't mean that he's any less of a king um you know over you he still has authority he still uh is reigning and so it's important for us to see that um, and know what it means to have a king um, but also to know that Jesus is king whether we, You know, crown him king in our life or not, he's going to rule and be victorious um, over the world. So I want to first just establish that Jesus is king, that this is definitely a biblical idea, Um, and then maybe look at one passage in the New Testament of like. Seen some responses to his kingship, and then we can talk about some other things as well. So um, I've got a couple of passages, and you guys can be thinking: What are some passages in the in the Old Testament or just in the Bible in general that establish Jesus as a king um, and and that he is ruling and and reigning? Um, the first one that I want to see, and then if you guys want to throw in a couple, um, is Isaiah chapter fifty two. Uh, this is in a section in Isaiah where uh, Isaiah is describing what the Lord's servant is, um, and he goes through various different uh, sections describing what the servant of the Lord is going to be like. Um, maybe the most famous section is Isaiah fifty-three, the the suffering servant, what Jesus is going to do in his sacrifice. But just before that, in verse fifty-two or chapter fifty-two and verse seven. Um, It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. Um, there's this idea and Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 10, whenever he's talking about the gospel and he uses this verse to talk about how important it is and valuable it is to share the gospel and spread that with different people. And one of the primary things that's being spread and mentioned in this sharing the good news, bringing a message of happiness and a, and a message of salvation, the the primary thing that's said in verse seven is you're telling people that your God reigns, um, your God is, is is ruler, he's king, he's master. And that's a message of happiness and peace and security, at least it should be. Um, we'll see maybe in another place that the fact that God reigns could be a different message depending on what side you're on. Um, but here, if you're a part of God's kingdom and a part of his people, his, his reign and his rule is actually a, a really good thing. And it's a part of the gospel message to so understand it's one of the fundamentals of being a part of God's kingdom uh, and part of Jesus' people. Um, that's kind of the first big passage that I want to hit, just to start establishing this idea. Do you guys have other like thoughts on that passage or other passages to talk about Jesus' rule, Scott? Just
1: a couple of others. The the promise in Second Samuel seven about David's descendant, uh, he will build a house for my name. I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And secondly, uh, Christ, Christ Messiah is the Greek term for the Hebrew term Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. Uh, In the Old Testament, the priests were anointed, but especially uh, it's also used of anointing the king. Uh, For example, what does David say when he has a chance to kill Saul and his men want him to kill Saul? The answer is, I will not.
2: Lift my hand against the Lord's anointed?
1: Yeah. And if you look at the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew Old Testament being translated into Greek? He says, "I will not lift my hand against the Lord's Christ, mm-hmm. the Anointed One." And so, for the, in in the first century, sometimes today, maybe people think of Christ as Jesus's last name. I don't know, but it it definitely connoted mm-hmm. along with his also being high priest. That also fits. Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: One thought on, on that passage and really something you said, um, and this, this is not to critique anything that you said, Jonathan, but uh, I think we've often talked about sharing the gospel with people when more often you see in, especially Isaiah 52, it's it's the proclaiming of the gospel. Um, I've, I've gotten it into my head that I've got this good news and it's helpful to people and it's a blessing and it's wonderful. And so I want to share this help to them with them um and that's true but but maybe if we appreciated the king that jesus is kings don't share the news of their coronation (laughs) they proclaim it Uh, i am i am king (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh and and this is a blessing to you because i'm a benevolent king um but it's not like hey take it or leave it this could be cool for you if you just try it but if you don't you know it's all right it's it it is a proclamation Mm mm-hmm uh and, and so that that is something that I've I've tried to rework in my mind where we're talking to our neighbors or co-workers or friends, relatives, and, and we're we're not just sharing the gospel, that's right, but we are proclaiming something. Uh, and
0: there's some boldness and some conviction in that Jesus is King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that that leads a little bit to another passage that I was thinking about, kind of the opposite end. So you've got in Isaiah 52. There's this proclamation, and it's a proclamation of, of happiness, joy, salvation, security. It's this good message. There's another way to receive the proclamation of Jesus' kingship. And you see that like in Psalm 2, where uh, I'll just read the psalm because it's, it's a short psalm, um, but Psalm 2, verse 1. I will tell of the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So you got this other side of the coin. If you learn of Jesus' kingship and you submit to that, you become a part of his kingdom, you're you're letting him rule uh, in your life uh, and listening to him and obeying him, there's this message of peace and security and happiness and blessing. But if you're like these people described in the beginning of Psalm 2, uh, raging, plotting against, trying to tear off the bonds of the king, of the ruler. Um, you can try to do that in verse 3, but God is just laughing at that attempt. Uh, you're not able to just throw off Jesus' kingship and become, you know, the the ruler uh, indefinitely yourself. Um, God has given authority and all power to Jesus, and he's inherited the world as his inheritance, and he's going to break his enemies into pieces, uh, it says in, in verse 9. Um, so verse 10 through 12 of Psalm 2 says you better pay attention and realize this is really serious. It's really important. This is final. You don't get to rebel against the king. Um, you need to uh, respect him, be reverent towards him, kiss the son um, and and take refuge in in his rule and reign. So um, those are kind of two different sides of the coin of, of Jesus' kingship. Depending on what side you're on means drastically different things for you. There,
3: there's a psalm. It's not super short, but Psalm 45, I think, paints a really good picture of the kingship that we have, uh, and and then even the approach that we need to have. It's a it's a psalm. It seems like a wedding um, celebration of a wedding uh, that the king has with his bride. But when you look at the way the king is described. Um, Oh, even just verse three, gird on your sword, your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, thy glory and thy majesty and in thy majesty ride on prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteous and your right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Your arrows are sharp. It's an interesting combination of strength and mercy um, in the descriptions here of this king and the 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 bride that comes um, in verse 11. Verse 10, hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. She's coming near. Verse 10, forget also your people and your father's house. So shall the king desire thy beauty. And there's this interesting way that as the bride comes to this king, uh, the past, um, the world that she's leaving behind needs to be left behind as she becomes one with this king. So it it does a really good job at giving us the picture of um, the different the different um, facets of the strength and mercy of the king as well as the approach that we need to have uh, the church often described as the bride of Christ Like in a similar way some some 45 is a beautiful response
2: of the bride to the King uh, another psalm that kind of describes our response to the King Psalm 110 um, there in, in we're probably really familiar with this when it's quoted all over the New Testament, but Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. And then verse 3 is is our response. Just like Psalm 45 records a response of the bride to the king, the the people respond to the king in verse 3, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. Uh, depending on the translation. He goes on to say, "In holy garments, uh, it, it's a difficult verse, but the idea is that when when righteous people see Jesus as King, then they they give themselves up to Him. They voluntarily uh, surrender to Him, so they can be useful to Him and surrender uh, and serve Him. Uh, but it's, it's a holy service. It's a, a a vow that's taken, and so Christ's people." should have a kind of a volunteer spirit about them where they're eager to serve because Jesus is King. Uh, we're not afraid to serve, we're not lazy about it. Um, we're not begrudging toward him. Uh, we recognize his power and we're glad for it. Yeah. Oh Jonathan, I think you, you may
0: be muted. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really obvious. Um, in the Old Testament, and, and also in the New Testament, we'll look at one passage in particular, that Jesus is reigning, um, that that he is the final king established by God. God had planned that. So I want to just think for a little bit about, like, if since that's true, since Jesus is king, what should people's response to his kingship be? So there's this negative response in Psalm 2 that will end up in our destruction. What's the positive response, and what's a good example of how to respond to Jesus's kingship? Um, so, I think Matthew twenty-one is a good place to to see that. But Scott, you had a did you have a thought before we look at that?
1: Just real quickly, uh, I think the verse that Justin mentioned a minute ago from Psalm one ten, your people will offer themselves freely. That's right after the verse that says Jesus will rule in the midst of his enemies. Mm -hmm. We combine that with Romans 5, that we were all enemies, uh, we have this. Jesus' kingdom is made up of people who desert the devil's army and come over to Jesus. So we have to surrender and then volunteer ourselves freely, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to read this story in Matthew 21 at the beginning of the chapter. And then just notice some of the responses that there are to Jesus. I think there's some good responses and also some bad responses um, in in this story. Um, But I'll just read this really quickly. Matthew 21, verse 1 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, The disciples went and did Jesus as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put out their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and were following him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Um, so this is when Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the for the last time before he's going to be crucified. This is the, the first day of the last week of his life. Um, and as he starts entering, uh, as he gets close, he starts instructing his disciples to do different things. So he tells them very specifically, you need to go into the city. You need to find this donkey. Um, if somebody asks you about what you're doing, say the Lord needs it, and then they'll let you have it kind of thing. It's really kind of strange instructions, not, not typical of, uh, of maybe what you would, uh, usually be instructed to do whenever you're approaching the city. Um, but he gives them these instructions and I really like verse six after he explains everything to them in detail. Verse six just says, so they went and did as Jesus directed them. Um, they, they did exactly what he said. (laughs) Um, even if the instructions are a little bit unorthodox, like here, you know, go find a donkey and bring it to me. They did it. When a king gives you instructions, you obey them in a very specific way, um, and that's really important. Imagine if, like, they had tried to change up the instructions a little bit, or um, maybe they uh, they saw a donkey and they started to get it, and the person said, "Oh, you can't, you know, have that." And they said, "Okay, that's fine." And they bring back like a cow. Um, you know, would Jesus be be happy? that they maybe, you know, well, we couldn't get you a donkey, but we got you something close. Well, no, He's, he gave them specific things to do and they specifically followed that. And that's something that we need to consider uh, whenever we're thinking about the kingship of Jesus, that since he is king, when he gives instructions, they need to be followed specifically. Um, and if we try to shake up and change the instructions, we're not being obedient to the, the commands of the king. Um, And that's where the king's wrath starts showing up in different situations. Um, So that's the first kind of, I think, positive response. There's there's specific obedience to a king that I see. Scott?
1: That reminds me the opposite of one time when Jesus makes a statement and Peter decides he has a better idea. He says he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to die. And Peter steps in, oh, no, Lord, that is never going to happen. And (laughs) strongly rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan, Mm -hmm. adversary yeah so yeah. When the the king speaks it's time for us to listen yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah go ahead justin
2: but then it's also interesting i mean like you said this is a weird entrance into the city um yeah, go to such and such corner there's a such and such guy he's got a he's got a donkey donkey's got a colt if they ask you you know my master needs it it's just it's just the weirdest <laughs> it's the weirdest thing um mm-hmm. i can just like we don't we don't see i don't know It's it's very humorous. The guy pokes out, what are you guys doing with my donkey? And he's like, oh, well, my master needs, oh, oh, that's all right. Uh, (laughs) And and like, this would never work. (laughs) I'd be thinking as a disciple, like we're going to go steal somebody's donkey. This is not going to work, but it works. And that's one of the the benefits of having Jesus as king is he may tell you to do some stuff that you think is just, is silly. Like it doesn't make any sense, but Jesus enables his commands uh, he doesn't just tell us to do stuff. He actually makes it so that it works out. There are lots of other examples of that. Like the man with the withered hand uh, in Mark 1, Jesus tells him to stretch it out. I guess the one thing he can't do, uh, and he does because Jesus told him to. Or like, rise, take up your bed and walk. Excuse me, I can't. <laughs> but but Jesus told him to do it, and therefore he enabled the command. Uh, I I think that's incredible. Uh, These disciples show that kind of faith, uh, but it's because they trust that Jesus
0: is in charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And another thing that stands out to me in this story is not only do they do exactly what they're instructed, but they kind of go a little bit above and beyond to do some extra and attempts to honor Jesus as much as possible. So like they bring the donkey and then they take their coats off and like Put their coats on the donkey so that jesus doesn't have to sit directly on the donkey and then people are like laying out their coats on the road as well so not even the donkey has to touch the road and they're like laying fig branches out and all this and 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 it's kind of going the extra mile to really honor who jesus is that they're really concerned with that and it reminds me of a similar attitude that you see in the old testament towards a king that when you, when you really want to show love and respect you'll do even really difficult or challenging things in order to really honor that King and show your devotion and love to them. And I'm thinking of the, the mighty men of David whenever David is like on the run and uh, he's kind of like a, a war refugee sort of thing. And he like his soldiers overhear him one time talking about how he really misses Bethlehem, his hometown. And he specifically wants like a cup of water from Bethlehem. And those soldiers like David doesn't specifically instruct them like guys, here's the mission, go in and get me a drink of water from Bethlehem. But they know that their king wants that. And so they go on this dangerous mission to break into the Philistine garrison, get into Bethlehem, get the cup of water and bring it back to David because they they want to. They really want to honor and serve him because they know that's what he wants. So like they, they specifically obey their king but they also want to go the extra mile to honor their king and what he wants. If I know that Jesus wants it, it's a it's a joy, it's a pleasure for me to go out and do that because I want to honor my king in that way. And that's something that happens in every relationship that you'll go out. You don't have to be specifically told to do something. You just know that's what the person wants. So you go and do it because you love them. Uh, like your spouse. Uh, today's Valentine's day. Um, my wife didn't tell me to go and pick her up flowers, uh, but I'm going to go and pick her up flowers because I know she likes flowers <laughs> and I love her and, and I want to honor her uh, kind of in that. If you just wait every single moment to be directly instructed <laughs> to do it, it almost kind of comes becomes robotic. But this relationship with a king that you really love and respect, you'll go the extra mile in doing something, even whenever maybe it's uncomfortable or challenging, because you know it will honor your ruler and that they want that um, as well. So uh, I think those are kind of paired together, the specific obedience to instructions, but also just really going out of your way to honor the king. In, in whatever way that you can, um, making him kind of the focus of the actions you do. Dan, you had your hand up.
3: Yeah, it it just even that phrase to go the extra mile, that comes from Jesus' own instruction that if anyone would force you to go with them one mile, we go too. If anyone's going to sue us for our coat, we give them our cloak. Also, if anyone slaps us on the one cheek, we turn and we offer the other one. And um, our... Our great effort to obey that highly challenging command from Christ to um, to not retaliate, but instead to love those who are oppressing us is then the way that we go. Uh, that, that's the extra. It, it feels like the extra mile that we then give to our Lord and King. We're going to do this. Um, he's told us to do it and we're going to work on it and we're going to do these very, very hard things um, serving the people around us. As we, as our service to our Lord and King, and 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 that's what we end up needing to to look for is those opportunities, because that's what lifts up our King.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd like to talk for a minute about the difference between, in the different angles of fellowship and submission, because the Scripture does bring out the idea that Jesus, you know, took on flesh and blood you know, as we have, that he went through temptations as we do, so that he can, you know, know what we're going through. Um, and that he's calling us up. He's not ashamed to call us brethren, uh, in, in Hebrews 2. Just so more beautiful passages that have this idea of us being able to be brethren with Christ, of Jesus lowering himself down to us. But we don't need to confuse that with us being Jesus's peers and equals
0: mm-hmm.
1: because he's still king. So you remember when Jesus said, When you're invited to a feast, don't sit where?
0: Don't sit in the best seats.
1: Yeah, don't because he's gonna come along and say, What are you doing there? and then he moves you down in front of everybody the lowest seat Jesus and said, take the lowest seat and what might happen? You'll get promoted. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing there? When the master of the peace asks you to come sit at the head table, that's an honor and it's a privilege, but it doesn't mean that you're him. Mm-hmm. When James and John are wanting to sit on the right hand and left hand of Jesus, that doesn't mean that you're king and they're kind of it's kind of a shameful presentation there when they're trying to seek that for themselves. So yeah, th- 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 we can have fellowship with one another and with Christ. He's not ashamed to call us brethren, but that's, that's not something we deserved. It's he still needs to have our honor and respect, not be treated as, as our, our, our buddy, even though we have a friend in Jesus uh and there's a lot of passages to illustrate that but go ahead Justin.
2: but uh one passage i had written down to to think about this introduces it in in revelation the picture that john gets of jesus uh i mean john john traveled around with jesus for years i mean they would have eaten together they would have you know rolled out their cots together as they're they're going down from uh galilee down into to judea Um, He saw him die, you know, he went to the tomb, he saw him raised, like this is his friend. Um, But when he appears in Revelation 1, this is a a very different sort of Jesus, uh, so much that John falls down like a dead man. But then Jesus, comfortingly, puts his hand out, draws him up, don't be afraid. Uh, Only Jesus could tell him not to be afraid. But then the picture we see of Jesus later in Revelation 4 and 5, you've got the throne room scene in heaven. And there are lots of crowns, you know. There, there are people representing uh, God's holy people, and they're yeah. all wearing crowns. But what are they doing with them?
3: They throw they're them, throwing them down.
2: Feet, yeah, yeah. Feet there's, down. there's, there's lots of honor being shared. There's lots of glory being received in heaven. But the focus is on the throne itself, and of course, the Lamb comes and uh, is worthy. To have that place in revelation five and everyone is crying out he's worthy so there there is a, a fellowship like you said scott there's a um a humility and kindness that our king has to share that glory with us but let's not forget that the, he's the one who's really worthy
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah two verses one luke chapter 17 jesus said mm-hmm. um even when you've done everything that you've been told to do say we are and when the prodigal son comes back, he says the right thing. Mm -hmm. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be a servant, let let, Mm -hmm. let me just go work and fulfill responsibility. In mercy and in love, the father says, my son that was dead (laughs) is alive, was lost is found." Put the ring on his finger, put the robe on him, and kill the fatted calf. Well, that's that's beautiful, that's glorious, but it's not that he deserved it, and he still needs to remember who's in charge. There, his dad's in charge. the the, the grace and mercy being shown doesn't change that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's um. There's one more thing, kind of related to that 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 happens in Matthew twenty-one that I want to point out. Um, and this is kind of my opinion. I don't know. I appreciate your guys' thoughts on this too. Um, but as Dave, as Jesus is entering the city, when he gets into the city, um, in verse ten, everyone's asking, "Who is this?" Like there's this big uproar, this big kind of parade that's going on. They're like, "Who is this guy?" Um, and some of the people are answering in verse eleven, and they're saying that this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Um, I think first that question in verse ten is really really important. Um, you know, that asking who is this is, is vitally important to us. And it reminds me of when Jesus asked his disciples, this really similar question. Um, I like that in the gospels, whenever I get there and I'm studying with people, uh, I, I like to really emphasize that question. Cause I think that's, that's vital where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And if you remember that story, it turns out that a majority of people, what they think about Jesus is wrong. <laughs> Um, some people are saying he's Jeremiah. Some people are saying that he's a prophet. Some people are saying he's, he's, you know, all these different things. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter has this really famous moment where he actually says something right. And he says, you're the Christ, the son of God. Um, and Jesus says, that's right. (laughs) Um, that that's who I am. Um, but here the crowd's response, I think falls into the same category as like what it did before, where all this big commotion is up. But people are saying, "Well, Jesus is the prophet. Uh, He's the prophet Jesus. Um, That's true. Jesus is the prophet. Uh, He he came, you know, in fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. Um, I think that that's that's you know an aspect of who Jesus is. But that's not everything that Jesus is. Um, He's not just a prophet. (laughs) He is he's ruler. He's king. He's Christ. He's Messiah. Um, He has a lot of different roles. And I think in our society today. A lot of people's opinions that they have of Jesus, they might be right in one respect, but they fall drastically short of all of the dimensions and qualities that are true of the person of Jesus. Um, I think, Scott, you're going to mention something that, that's really common that people do um, in, uh, in a minute concerning the, the qualities of Jesus. But I think it's so vital for us to acknowledge that Jesus is king, um, because if we strip Jesus of his kingship, we're stripping him of his authority. And that leads to all kinds of religious errors, um, refusing to acknowledge Jesus as king. In in our minds and in our practice, if we don't see him as king, then we don't see him as somebody that we need to be specifically obedient to. Um, And that lets us be really creative in our approach to worship and our approach to God. But if Jesus is king and we express that in our life, then it'll be it'll manifest itself in me searching for what he asks of me to do in the scriptures and then doing it when i find it because my king asked me to do that um, and there are so many different directions that religious people will go i think the the fundamental reason why is because people don't acknowledge jesus as king they acknowledge him as something you know he's something in their life maybe he, they want him to be their savior or they want him to be uh, their their friend or their brother, but they're not acknowledging that Jesus is the worthy King that reigns. And when we acknowledge that, it makes all the difference in our life. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: Dan, yeah, just just a quick example to to point that out. Because if I call Jesus King and I say that half the time I'm a hundred percent obedient, that doesn't mean very much at all. I'm um, I'm not obedient. If half the time I'm hundred percent obedient, right. and I don't consider him king, if half the time I do everything the king says, and that's that's the big difference. My words uh, uh, reveal one aspect about my heart, but my performance reveals the other the other part of it. And uh, we need to keep
0: those two things in line.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and and just to build on what I said, and then Scott um, to to build on that, Jesus does have a lot of different roles. Like he's not only a king. He is also he's also a priest, which is really important. We need him as our priest. Uh, he's also a prophet. He's revealing God's word uh, in the, in that way. So he fills a lot of different roles. But my point in saying that is, we tend to want to really emphasize a role that really appeals to us about Jesus. So, like, I really like the idea of him being my advocate, and so so I, I really emphasize him being my priest and and standing before God and representing me in that way. But the king thing, I don't really like that very much. And so we push that to the side. You can't do that with Jesus. You can't just take one part of Jesus and kind of like a buffet. You've got to take all of who Jesus is. Right.
1: Yeah. The uh, it, This is, I think, something really, really valuable to discuss. I think most of us have friends that have a respect for Jesus, that in their own lives, they'll make difficult choices, and they'll sacrifice, and they'll want to honor Jesus and follow his word, but they often attend churches whose theology says you don't have to obey Jesus, even though this individual will, and I found an effective question with them is to ask, have you noticed a disconnect between what churches say about submission and obedience and what Jesus said? And that type of person that I just described, oftentimes they will have noticed that because, you know, they're wanting personally to submit and obey Jesus. But if you're attending a church and they're teaching that, you know, it's faith alone, obedience, you know, will get you some rewards in heaven, but it's not required. Uh, Once you're saved, you can continue in sin and walk in darkness and you're still going to be saved and all these different things. And to, to just look at the disconnect and to look at how Jesus demanded repentance, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he ends the Sermon on the Mount with not everybody that says, Lord, Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those that do the will of the father. And if you hear my word and do it, you're like the wise man that built his house on rock. But if you don't do it, you're the wise man, you're the foolish man built on sand and it's gonna be a catastrophe. And just passage after passage that that make that clear. And what it boils down to is there's a lot of people that want Jesus for savior, but they don't want him for Lord. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is both. Second Peter repeatedly uses the phrase both (laughs) Lord and savior. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Luke two, uh, to the shepherds, it's announced: For unto you is born in this day, uh, uh, in this excuse me, in this this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He's both Lord and Christ. Lord means you got to do what He says. Luke 6:46. Jesus says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say?" You know, if if uh, if I work for Dan and i say morning boss what do you want me to do boss and he tells me what he wants me to do and then he goes off and he comes back and i haven't done anything and said uh we're about done boss and he looks why do you even call me boss you didn't do anything i told you to do um and the other thing is this and this is going to take maybe 30 seconds but i think it's worth it and it it ties on with what was said a, a few minutes ago about Obeying, fully obeying Jesus half the time. That sounds pretty good. It's not. Um, and this illustration is this. Let's suppose Jonathan is king, okay? Or whatever island or country we live on, Jonathan's king. And um, suppose Justin is his prime minister or whatever. And, Jonathan starts delegating authority to Justin, kind of like Nabonidus did with Belshazzar. Um, and he starts letting you, Justin, you can take care of this. You can take care of this also. Justin, I'm also going to put you in charge of this. And he's delegating lots of authority to Justin. And so Justin has authority maybe to raise taxes, maybe to, you know, do this or that. But there's one thing that Jonathan doesn't turn over. He says, you can't make treaties. You're not allowed to make treaties. Who's king? I am. Jonathan. Yeah. Now, practically speaking, it may look like, you know, uh, Jonathan's gone off to Tima, like Nebuchadnezzar wow. did. <laughs> and, and it may look like, wow, Justin is the guy in charge. He's the, what, A lot has been delegated to him, but he's not the ultimate authority because Jonathan is still saying, you can take care of this, 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 and this, but you can't touch this. Mm -hmm. And that's what we often do with God. Mm -hmm. We'll let God, we'll we'll deal out to him things that he can have authority over. Okay. You can have my Sunday mornings. Uh, You can have, I didn't want to be a homosexual anyway. You can have that. Uh, Yeah, And we we deal him lots of authority, but then there's one or two things that no God, you can't have control of that. I'm keeping that. Mm-hmm. Who's control there? Yeah, we're yeah, still, making. Um, yeah, and and we might look at, but look at all the things I turned over to God. I'm been, it, that's not submission. Mm-hmm. It's treating God like the prime
2: minister, and we're the king.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an old bumper sticker says, "God is my co-pilot." You need to switch seats. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, there's a there's some some practical effect to this too. I think you know, it's not just uh, I mean, obedience is about as practice as it gets, but the way it impacts our attitude toward life. Um, I don't think any of us really wants to be in charge anyway. Um, you know when when uh there's a, a a burst pipe because they got below freezing and, and there's water spewing out in your basement like i want to tuck tail and run <laughs> you know uh, when when you get a flat tire on the interstate and you are miles and miles and miles away from any help like somebody else please make the decisions uh, but when you're in charge the weight falls on you you're responsible you're you're leading your family. You've got people who are looking to you for rescue, for salvation, for guidance, for help. Uh, and I think there's some practical effect of us trying to be in charge until the moment we realize we're we're not cut out for this job. Uh, in in Matthew chapter six, Jesus, I think, relates a lot of this thing called anxiety to uh, an overreach of power. Uh, he, he talks about how we're we're anxious about our lives. About what we'll eat and drink and what we're going to put on our bodies, but then he says, "Seek first the kingdom of God." In Matthew six thirty-three, and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Uh, don't don't you know that God's in charge? Don't don't you know that He's taking care of things? Uh, in in First Peter, chapter five, uh, anxiety it turns out is is kind of connected with pride. In 1 Peter 5 and verse, verse 5, uh, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, imagine someone, imagine a God who had all love, who, who was. He was unlimited in his love toward us, but not unlimited in power. I mean, He's compassionate, and he may get us, and he may care about us. He may want to be our friends, but he can't help us. Or there's a God who has all power, but not all love. Uh, we, we serve a God who does love us. But he's also telling us, you got to submit to me. You got to follow me. Humble yourself under my mighty hand, and I'll take care of you. I'll strengthen you. I'll establish you. There in verse ten, and so he closes off this section in First Peter five eleven. To him be the dominion forever and ever, Amen. When I realize that God's on His throne, uh, it, it takes away. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't just immediately sap all my worry, but. Boy, it really does start to put the brakes on my runaway anxiety. Is God on His throne or not? And if He is, then He's got this well in hand. It may not look like what I wanted it to look like, uh, but but God's in charge, and I can trust Him to be in charge.
0: Mm-hmm. I wonder if a little bit of that is what Jesus had in mind also when He said to uh, take His yoke on ourselves, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Um, that that it's it's so much. Easier, simpler. Now, there will be challenges in following Jesus, being a part of, of Jesus' people. Um, but it's so much lighter than the, the weight that you have to carry when you're trying to run your life yourself. Um, so, mm-hmm. Would you, Just a little thought. This is something that I,
3: I had been sitting on for a while. But in Psalm 44, it talks about that relationship we have to him being a king. Um, that it's not on us in Psalm 44, verse three, for they got not their land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thy arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast the favor, hast favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God, commanded for Jacob. Mm. And
0: there's great relief in having this king. Yeah. yeah. Well, Good. Um, So that's pretty much all the time that we have for today. Um, We we really hope that that discussion is helpful for everyone. Jesus is king, whether you you know that or not, whether you acknowledge that or not. But you need to know that and that needs to change how you live your life. Um, It'll be such a blessing to have him reigning in your life as king and submit yourself fully to him. Uh, and and listen to his instructions. So if you have more questions or thoughts about that, maybe some specific uh, commands or things that Jesus has given that you'd like us to discuss on our program, you can uh, ask us about that. We'd be happy to talk about more passages uh, or any other questions that you have in the Bible. You can submit those to us at biblequest.tv and we'll do those in our future programs. But that's all that we have for this week. And so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.